Michelle, and you're listening to Mo Mushrooms. Welcome back, everybody. It is fall in Missouri, so we got some beautiful leaves changing going on. And now is the perfect time to talk about some delicious seasonal mushrooms you can find in the next few weeks. We're going to be talking about several species today, but focusing mainly on one in particular. All of the information that I'm relaying to you I've gotten from either the Missouri Department of Conservation's website or my field guides that I've already listed and talked about in previous episodes. And as always, you'll be able to find my source list in the notes section of the podcast. I am listing recipes this week as well that I've tried myself and love. In order to find those, you'll need to go to the Facebook page, Mo Mushrooms. I'll also put in some links uh, in the notes that will take you to Pinterest, but Facebook will be the easiest way to get access to those. So since this is a foraging episode, I do want to review our foraging rules. Number one, most importantly, you never eat any mushroom unless you're totally positive that it's edible and that it is what you think it is. Triple check this. Triple check it. Number two, don't trespass on private property and don't forage in national parks. Number three, take only what you need and leave the rest behind. And number four, never eat them raw. Wild mushrooms need to be cooked well before you eat them. Our four fungi friends for this episode are the Lataporus, or Chicken of the Woods, the Graffola frondosa, also known as Hen of the Woods, but known to most people as Maitake mushrooms. Third, we have the Heresium arenaceus, excuse me with my Latin pronunciations, we all know how I am with those. <laughs> That's also known as Lion's Mane. And the Apioperdon piriform, also known as the pear-shaped puffball. All four of these mushrooms are pretty easy to spot once you kind of know what you're looking for, but chicken of the woods is definitely the brightest. There are two different kinds of chicken of the woods. Uh, The first kind, Lataporus sulfurius. These are super bright orange and yellow, so bright orange on the tops and they tend to be bright yellow underneath. And then there's Lataporus cincinnatus, and that is pale orange and white. So still kind of a pale orange on top and then white on the bottom. Both of them are totally delicious. They both grow on dead and dying deciduous trees as well as living deciduous trees and roots. Uh, Deciduous just means a tree that loses its leaves every fall. I didn't know what that word meant until I got into foraging, so don't feel bad if you didn't know either. You can technically find these mushrooms in spring, summer, and fall, but the fall is kind of the peak season they get really big. Um, that's has a lot to do with the weather. It's, it just tends to be wetter in the fall, and uh, that lets them grow nice and big. Um, the fruiting bodies grow in these overlapping fanned clusters, and like I said, they can get huge. So that it just looks like a giant orange cluster of fans growing out of the sides of stumps or trees. They are polypores, so there's no gills on the bottom. There are no poisonous lookalikes. The only thing that comes close to looking like these are the jack-o'-lantern mushrooms, and those aren't good. Those are poisonous. Don't eat them. Omphalotus olerius is their their Latin name. Um, But, you know, as soon as you've seen a real chicken of the woods, you're going to know immediately that a jack-o'-lantern is not a chicken of the woods because jack-o'-lanterns are stemmed and gilled, and they are cool because they're bioluminescent a little bit, but you don't want to eat those. 
So chicken of the woods have the taste and texture of chicken. It is crazy. You're going to cook it up and you'll take a bite of it. And it really is similar to almost like biting into a chicken breast. And they take on flavor really, really well the same way that chicken does. Um, The only caveat with these is that some people are a little sensitive to them and experience some lip or mouth swelling. Don't let that scare you. Just cook a little bit the first time you try them and eat just a little piece of it. And if you still feel good in 30 minutes or so, then you're good to go. The recipe that I've listed for this one is a chicken Philly. Uh, It's something I threw together one night because I had a whole bunch of leftover from my, from my, uh, haul one day and um, I I really loved it so I'm just going to share it with you guys I think you'll like it as much as I did next we're going to talk about uh, hen of the woods or maitake so I'm going to call it maitake for our purposes here the grifola frondosa they grow at the base of oak trees or oak stumps especially in older woods near river bottoms and some of you might have put together already that that kind of sounds like where morels grow because morels can grow near oaks as well in the springtime and especially near river bottoms. Um, morels will tend to pop up in the same spot and so will maitakis. So if you find a maitake spot, go back and check it every year because you'll probably find another one every year. Uh, it's kind of a dual you kind of get a dual spot that way. If you find my takis in the fall, you should go back and check for morels in the spring and vice versa. It's pretty cool. So what they look like, they look like these ruffled hen butts, which is why they get their name hen of the woods. They look uh, like brown, tan, and white little clusters that look almost like feathers and these big balls. Um, they are also polypores. They don't have gills. There are some lookalikes to these. There's three of them, and all three of them are edible. None of them are poisonous, so that's also kind of awesome. There is a black staining polypore, the Berkeley's polypore, and the eastern cauliflower mushroom. Uh, It would be super easy for me to just go right down a rabbit hole here and keep going on and on about just these four types of mushrooms, but um, I'm going to keep it short for our purposes here. Uh, The black staining polypores are not poisonous at all and are, in fact... Uh, really delicious when they're fresh. So they grow at the base of oaks and they can also come back year after year. They are called black staining polypores because when you pick them up or you squeeze them, they bruise black. Maitake don't bruise. Um, so that's an indicator. The coloring is similar, but it's, I mean, if you look at pictures of the both of them, you, you'll still be able to kind of tell them apart. Um, the black staining polypores have a really intense earthy odor. And, you know, like I said, while the coloring can be similar, they tend to be a lot firmer and thinner. You have to cook them really low and slow to get them to be tender. The Berkeley's polypore also grow near the bases of hardwoods. Um, they are tan and brown and even rose colored when they're young, and they have large petals or like leaf looking clusters. If you time it right, you can eat those outer leaves, um, but it, it does get really woody and hard and bitter over time. Those don't really, the shape of those really don't look like maitakis or black staining polypores. Eastern cauliflower mushrooms, those look like, they, they look the most like maitake to me. The main difference is coloring. So 
This one has a rosy and white colored cluster instead of the brown and tan and white, and it, it does get super tough with age, but the clusters look really similar to those on Hen of the Woods. My recipe for my Taki is a really simple one. Uh, I just had this last night. It's a roasted rosemary maitake with fresh bread and butter. Um, super good. If you like rosemary, you can kind of substitute out the rosemary for other things, but you know, you can read the recipe to find out for what. Next, we are going to talk about the lion's mane. So this is, oh man, this is probably one of my favorite edible mushrooms. It tastes just like crab meat. Another popular name for this is the bearded tooth. Uh, you can find these starting in August and ending in November. I haven't found one yet this year, but I was out last weekend looking and I spotted one from a distance and I got up close and man, it was so old. It was like starting to get yellow and old, but for a second I was like so excited. So that was heart heartbreaking last weekend. Hopefully I'll still find one. I got, I got a few more weeks left, I think. Um, so you'll find lion's mane growing on living deciduous trees as well as dead ones uh, and tree stumps. Um, it, it literally looks like a furry snowball from a distance. And then you get up close and it looks like lots of little clustered icicles all together. So there are no lookalikes for this except for the equally delicious comb tooth, which is another heresium. It's the heresium coralloides. I think I'm pronouncing that right. It has the same icicle look, but there's lots of branches coming off of it. So it almost looks like kind of rolling hills of icicles. If you look at a picture, you'll see what I'm talking about. This is, a, this is another fungus I'll probably go into detail about in later episodes. There's a lot of health benefits associated with it. There are some compounds in there that have been proven to promote cognitive health, and there are some promising studies out there right now about using it as a potential treatment or prevention to dementia and Alzheimer's. There are also indicators in various animal studies about treating cancer, repairing nerve injuries more quickly, and reducing stress and anxiety. So I'm reading and researching more about all of that, and, um, and when I feel like I have a better handle on it, I'll make an episode. My recipe for lion's mane is crab cakes. So you'll have to, you know, if you get a chance to try it, you'll have to let me know if you can even tell the difference. I can't tell the difference when I use lion's mane instead of crab meat for these crab cakes. Okay, finally, we've arrived at our star today, which is the puffball. Um, I'm talking about the pear-shaped puffball, the Apioperdon piriform, also called the Lycoperdon piriform. I found it listed both ways, and that's just an example of how the field is changing all the time in mycology, and there's new names all the time. This was a brand new one for me to find this year. Uh, I always walked by these little puffballs thinking that <laughs> they were poisonous and so I just ignored them and they looked kind of weird. <laughs> um, just strange little bulbs, you know, growing off the side of, of stumps. So they look like what they sound like. They're these small tannish white brown color and they get darker brown and even greenish as they age. They grow on decaying wood and when it matures, there's a little hole that comes it forms at the top and it puffs out these spores through a hole and the, the spores are like a dark brown color when you see them coming out. I don't know why I hadn't heard about these as much as, I don't know, chicken of the woods or as hen of the woods, but um, they, I had definitely seen them before this year, 
But again, I just assumed they were not edible just because they looked a little a little crazy and they weren't kind of, they weren't coming up right away in articles that I was reading about foraging. Um, I think they're a little underrated. They are really, really good. Some people say that they don't have a flavor. What I find is that they taste a lot like oyster mushrooms do. Um, and oyster mushrooms don't really have much of a flavor either, but they'll very gladly take on whatever you're cooking them with. The other great thing about pear-shaped puffballs, kind of like oyster mushrooms, you're probably going to find a bunch of them, a bunch of fresh ones that are ready to eat because they grow in these clusters. So you're really getting a lot out of your foraging session, even if you don't find anything else, but you find this whole log full of puffballs, at least you're coming home with something, and they're pretty good. You know, you can... I haven't tried this yet because, like I said, I just tried them for the first time this year. But I think that they would even be really good in, like, a salad. If you fry them up and put them in a salad, that could be delicious. Put them with your eggs. A lot of people just eat them plain. Uh, they are only good to eat when they're super fresh. And it's really easy to tell if they're fresh. You just cut the puffball in half. And if it's pure white and has, like, a marshmallow feel to it and look to it, then you're good to go. Once it starts aging, uh, you'll start to see those brown spores taking over and the inside gets really dark and sometimes even green. Um, I have a video of old, of an old puffball that I just found on my hike this morning. I took a little slow motion video of me squeezing it and you see the spores coming out. So I'm going to be posting that on my Instagram and Facebook later. I will also be posting pictures of the fresh ones that I found so you can like, you can really see the difference there. So there are lookalikes to these, but they're mostly other species of puffballs. Um, the giant puffball, the Calvatia gigante, is just as delicious as the pear-shaped and similar taste and texture and all of that. It's just, it's just huge. And this is the one that I'm going to be talking a lot about here in a few minutes, its medicinal properties and the studies that have been done with it. Um, but yeah, if you see it out in the wild, it literally it looks like a massive like beach ball in the middle of a field. Um, the, it's the same test that you do for the pear shaped. You have to cut it in half, make sure it's perfect white in the middle, and you've got yourself a great find. You can take it home. Uh, the next lookalike would be the pigskin puffball, the scleroderma citrinum, and it's poisonous. It grows out of the ground instead of on decaying wood most of the time, and these are, these are small like the pear shaped ones, so you won't mistake a giant puffball. Um, unless the giant puffball isn't big enough yet if it's really, really young. But these pigskin puffballs tend to be smaller. Uh, it has brown spots all over it and a really thick skin. So that's also different from the edible ones because the edible ones, I mean, they feel firm, but they've got a little give to them still. They're a little bit squishy. Um, when it's young, the pigskin puffball can be white inside, but usually when you find it, it's going to be purple and black on the inside, so you'll again know not to eat that one. Next is the gem studded puffball. These are kind of warty, all white turban shaped balls that grow out of the ground and you can eat this one. It's delicious and like the other two edible puffballs, you should have a solid white middle. The only thing you, you've got to be really careful about besides the pig skin is uh, occasionally the deadly uh, destroying angel, that Amanita bisporgira, 
can be mistaken for a puffball in its earliest stages because it comes out of this, it comes out of a veil. But, you know, even if you mistake it and you, if you cut that open, you're going to see the gills and a developing stem. So you'll know immediately that that's not what it's supposed to look like. So just keep an eye out for that. Again, 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 when you get into these slightly more complicated, a little bit more than one step to figure out if it's edible or not, you've got to really be sure of what you're doing. So we are going to jump in to the medicinal properties of the giant puffballs, the Calvatia gigantes. Like many other mushrooms, puffballs contain antioxidants and are antibacterial and antiviral as well as being super high in nutritional value. All of this makes sense when you remember how much a fungus has to go through to survive and all the work that goes into producing the fruiting body. Um, it's a super competitive environment, you know, they've got a, they're fighting for resources and fighting for nutrients. So that fight creates a lot of, a lot of health benefits for us humans because they're pretty tough little, little buggers. So the giant puffball contains a mucoprotein called calvasin that has strong anti-tumor properties. I was Digging a little deeper with my research for this, and I, again, have listed all my sources so that you can keep looking into this on your own. Um, I want to really emphasize here, though, that I'm giving a brief and generalized overview. I am not a doctor. I am not a mycologist. I am just trying to share interesting information with you. Um, I've tried to be accurate and up-to-date, and I have done my best to use really reliable sources. So, in the 1960s, scientists began animal studies with calvasin, showing success with reducing tumors. There have been more recent studies. The study that I looked at and listed is from 2016, and those have shown calvasin helped decrease the growth of lung cancer and inhibited new tumors from forming in humans, without the side effects from chemotherapy and some of the other harsher cancer treatments. Again, I've linked this, and so if you want to read the whole study, you can. Uh, it's, it's pretty academic and can be hard to understand. I didn't understand most of it, but I was really trying to take my time through it and just piece together what I could. Um, it goes into great detail about the exact cell that Calvasin has an effect on in that study. There's another article that I linked from the International Journal of Collaborative Research on Internal Medicine and Public Health. And that goes into the general description of medicinal mushrooms and macrofungi, and then it focused in on the giant puffballs and calvasin. From what I gathered, the basic summary of why calvasin works as an anti-tumor medicine is because it affects apoptosis, and that is the cell death. That's the regularly programmed cell death that is supposed to happen in your cells that maintains homeostasis. Cancer cells avoid apoptosis. That's one of the reasons that they just keep growing and growing and growing. There's no like, there's just no homeostasis. There's no stopping it. So the calvasin can instigate apoptosis in these tumors. So it can kill these cancer cells, but you're not damaging the healthy cells around it. It's activating your immune system and helping that apoptosis, that natural process that's supposed to be happening in your body to happen. That same article had a table that listed uh, the names of certain mushrooms, the natural compound that scientists isolated in cancer trials, and then the name of the tumors that they experimented with, which was really cool to look at. So it, that went into even more detail, not even just about the puffballs. It went into several different kinds of species. So I highly encourage you to look at that. I found it fascinating. 
if you know anyone going through cancer right now, and unfortunately most of us do, it's so common and it's just, it just sucks. Cancer sucks. Um, using calvasin in a drug is just one example of immunotherapy. And you've probably heard anybody that you know going through cancer treatment talking about these new breakthroughs in immunotherapy. A lot of doctors are talking about it. And that is just really encouraging the immune system to fight disease rather than introducing drugs into the system that suppress the immune system and do damage to healthy cells along with the tumors. Um, there are definitely a lot more studies to be done, but it's an incredibly exciting time right now in the world of cancer research. And I mean, I, it just blows my mind that these things can be found in nature and we're kind of reconnecting to that. And that's very encouraging to see. Keeping in theme with lots of other natural remedies, um, Eastern medicine has been using medicinal mushrooms for a long, long time. Same thing with indigenous people, Native Americans um, have long used medicinal mushrooms to treat various kinds of ailments, lots of different things. Uh, so the last article that I posted for you guys, I think you're really going to enjoy, I got a kick out of it, is from the National Park Service, actually. And there were just a couple more fun facts about what they used to be used for by Native American tribes. Um, a, a big use for them was actually bandaging wounds to stop bleeding, which makes sense if you think about the antimicrobial properties. Um, that would actually help speed along healing and would keep it from getting infected. Um Another fun fact that I learned is about the reason behind the name. So if you look at the at the Greek at the Greek name, uh, Lycoperdon, Lyco means wolf in Greek and Perdon means to break wind. So it literally means wolf fart. <laughs> and if you look at at the spores coming out, you can kind of see why it got that name. So yeah, like I said, I think you guys will really enjoy that article. That's also listed with the rest of them. So, you know, that's awesome that they help with cancer. And it's also awesome that uh, they're delicious. So my recipe for the pear-shaped puffball is a really just basic fried puffball recipe. And you can use it for both pear-shaped puffballs and giant puffballs. If you're able to find a giant puffball, send me a picture. I want to see it. I'll be on the lookout as well. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, don't forget to go like the Facebook page, Mo Mushrooms, and you're welcome to follow me on Instagram as well. My handle is Amy, A-M-Y underscore lady, and then the number three. You can reach me by email at momushroompod at gmail.com. And if you do try out any of these recipes, please let me know how they go. I would love to see photos and hear feedback. Thank you, everybody, and enjoy the rest of your fall. Thank you.